the Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades or, or you know, will not prevail against it. We, we have to understand that he was not saying, I will build my organization. The move to liturgical Christianity today on In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and once again, I'm joined by my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And, and we, well, we have a special guest today. Genghis Khan is here with us. <laughs> it's, it's becoming a thing now to see what name Michael picks for, uh, for every week. And w- when I saw he picked that name, I said, well, you know, you got a lot of kids. And, uh, and he said, uh, also a lot of rats. <laughs> wrath, wrath, like the wrath of Wrath, wrath, yes, wrath. I said rats. I was thinking the plague. No, no. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, that too. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it was accurate, but it was a different comment. Okay. I, 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 real quick, I have to go down this bunny trail. I saw this meme that just killed me. It had a, it had, it's really cool when, when people stand in front of things they destroy and had like the Joker from Batman with the hospital right. blowing up behind him and, and had some, uh, like, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in front of some building blowing up. And then it had a rat in front of, in front of Europe. <laughs> so anyway, I'm a, I'm a history nerd. But uh, <laughs> I'll give you another one. What's the that? Name I saw this week shows this Thomas Kincaid painting. I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Kincaid, but he oh yeah, saw puzzles, and they're just these wintry, fluffy, sleepy, wonderful, beautiful, right scenes. Yeah, and the top it says how to destroy a Thomas Kincaid painting. It shows this this house in this valley, and it's all beautiful and the twinkly lights, and then Godzilla. <laughs> I love those. I absolutely love those because it was a, a whole fad going on for a while where they put in like Star Wars spaceships. Right, and so right. they had like the beautiful little cottage and then there was right. a big old, one of the big old walkers, you know, right. coming through the woods. Right. I, I was going to say the commune that uh, I lived on for several years uh, back in the 70s yeah. was called the Lighthouse Ranch and it was on a on a hillside mm-hmm. or cliff or whatever overlooking the Pacific Ocean and actually had a lighthouse on it. And so a good yes. friend of ours put a uh, uh, picture of, of that was pretty famous uh, among us, anyhow, of the lighthouse ranch, an aerial view showing the lighthouse, and behind it is Godzilla coming up over the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I have a, a very unclear memory but I, I do remember visiting Lighthouse Ranch with Lori for two days. Mm. And I don't remember the year. It would have been um, 77, 78. Okay. Were you there then? I may have been out there. I was there in 77. By 78, I think I had moved into town. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. We, may, we may have crossed paths there, too. <laughs> One of the reasons your memory is so unclear is because it was foggy over the ranch 
every day of every year. So it's it's the it's the Humboldt fog. That's why you're so clear. Yeah, you you. You may have been there, Michael, but it's not for certain. Yeah. <laughs> you, you may have been in Fort Bragg. You may have been in Humboldt. Man, you know. I've been anywhere, man. By that time, we were just tripping driving through Humboldt County. Yeah. <laughs> on the way to, on the way to um, what was it, Bend? Something Bend, Oregon. Where Bend, Oregon. Oh, yeah. There was sure. another Bend where the, there was another Christian community there we hung out with, and I can't remember their name. Might have been Shiloh. Yeah, I, I know, know Shiloh was somewhere up there in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. Anyhow, okay. Wow. And- well, this this leads talking about all the the communes during the Jesus People movement stuff. This goes right into what we were going to talk about today because we were going to pick up from what we were talking about last week, and we concluded last week's podcast starting to talk about why is it that so many people who are really um, like big in the Jesus People movement or in in um, evangelical circles, there's there's this big movement. Um, it, that might be the wrong term, but there's a big move for a lot of people over to liturgical forms of Christianity. And we started to talk about, you know, why is that happening? So we thought it'd be cool to open up today with uh, what, what's going on? You know, why, why, what is the appeal that um, in the last podcast, um, you guys were talking about how that was so um, like, you were moving away from that kind of stuff with the Jesus people movement, the the re- forms of religion you guys consider dead and, you know, were very traditional. And then, and then now we see this movement and, and starting a few, like a decade ago or so a movement back to that. I mean, we, we have even um, people like uh, the big, the Bible answer man, Hank Hanegraaff, you know, yeah. he, he mm-hmm. went, uh, became a, um, um, thanks became orthodox yeah so and I, I know some other people who were very who were pastors in evangelical churches who went over and became orthodox so sure, our friend Frankie Schaefer yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so what what do you guys think is the appeal with that why, why is that happening well before I get into what I think the appeal of it was uh, I, I let me give a little bit of a background. The Jesus People uh, movement was was a um, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, and 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 you almost have to be charismatic to understand some of the terms I might use. But it, it was a, a, a just a, a sudden movement. It was like a generation, and it seemed like God just dropped on that generation. Um, I had experiences that, that I barely said anything. Uh, I had a Christian T-shirt on, or I, in one case, I had a bumper sticker on my car, and I got flagged down, and people were like, we're reading your bumper sticker, and it's like, tell us about that, you know? And it, it was just, <laughs> you, know, you know, words like sovereign move and things like that have been used to try and describe it. And, and who's, you know... I don't understand all of it, but nonetheless, the vast majority of that generation were brought into strongly evangelical churches, churches that Mm -hmm. believed that there was a point of salvation that centered Mm -hmm. around a, a, a prayer a confession of sorts and and whatever, 
and and that the scripture how will they believe unless they hear how will they hear unless there be a preacher how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those that preach the gospel the, the you know and and so we go everywhere and we take this gospel everywhere you know and and that that was wonderful because as a young person, uh, uh, you know, I think I was 19 at the time, you know, we had this philosophy of, uh, you know, in our hippie uh, years that we had no permanent dwelling place anyhow. And so when we heard that, well, that's right. Jesus's philosophy, it's like, well, that's cool. It's like I get to go everywhere all over the world and and I'm fulfilling the great commission, you know, to preach the gospel everywhere. Uh, which isn't the commission, it's make disciples, but we kind of interpret it our own way and, you know, get people saved. And and so it's it's like, okay, now that you're saved, now join a commune and let's live the, you know, the, the hippy-dippy Christian life and, and let's love everybody and peace and harmony. And it was good for a while. Until, mm-hmm. you know, until our humanity kind of hit the surface, you know, they talk about uh, in evangelical circles about the honeymoon experience, you know, right after you first get saved and you're, you're, everything is beautiful in its own way, you know, and you're skipping down the lane singing, you know, uh, you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice yeah. and be glad in it, you know, mm-hmm. everything is beautiful. But for a lot of people, there wasn't a lot of substance there. There was the personal relationship, which at some time on this podcast, I think we, we need to discuss that topic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll call it the myth of the personal mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was that. Then there was the communal relationship that we didn't really in understand the value of community, just communal. And huh. go to church, have a wonderful experience, you know, waving your flags and dancing and playing your tambourine, you know, and everything was beautiful in that, except that there seemed to be something missing. And I think now almost 50 years later, looking back at people like Jack Sparks, uh, Mike, you mentioned uh, uh, Frankie Schaefer. Uh, I know when he Mm -hmm. began to veer away from his father's um, faith, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. every mudslinging term was used of how backslidden the man was and how he had denied the faith and so on and so forth. And, and uh, I think some of the same things were said about, uh, you know, about uh, Jack Sparks and, and others. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was more, uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand why they would do that. You know, why they'd go backwards. Mm -hmm. And um, Michael, you could maybe pick it up from there. But my conclusion 50 years later is I don't think they went backwards at all. I think they really went forward 
and I wish a lot more of us would have followed them a lot sooner. Let's, let's I'll leave it at that for a minute. Well, I, I'm I'm just in a thousand percent um, concurrence with your description of the Jesus movement because, like I, we've already established, you and I were both there in the same Jesus movement, and that, that's that's you know pretty rare in a sense. I mean, it's a kind of a stroke of luck that we've managed to hook up here through Lauren. It's been beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I'm just in a hundred thousand percent agreement. You, you described my experience to a T. I mean, I remember when um, when Jack started his his move back toward uh, first it was the Apostolic Fathers, mm-hmm. and then through reading certain writers on the Apostolic Fathers, and there weren't really a lot of books out on worship in the early church in the 1970s. I mean, you had. Oscar Kuhlman's uh, scholarly pamphlet, CFD Mole had, you know, but there wasn't, there weren't books that, that really uh, laid out, as it were, worship patterns in the early church. And so when Jack went back, for people like me that weren't Protestants, we were Catholics. When we, when we saw that, I was very excited and I was very pro-Jack Sparks all the way, you know, even though there was a lot of opposition to it. Um, coming to today, so any time, and you could, we can go back to the Middle Ages, we can go back to the early church on this, any time Christianity becomes too rational one direction, the tendency is for it to move in the other direction toward mm-hmm. what we would call mysticism or irrational I mean, um, superstitious, uh, there are derogatory terms for this, there are uh, beneficent terms for this subjective experience, right? Okay, and when that is is too heavy, then it comes back toward the, the rational, and it's, it swings, there's this pendulum in Christianity that goes from extreme to extreme between subjective and objective. And then each of these pendulum swings develops movements and one movement's very subjective, another's very objective. You know, you look at Protestant orthodoxy, so hyper-objective. Everything was about dry, dusty, boring doctrine. That the the need for self-expression, you know, busted open on, on Azusa Street in L.A. It was a need for what took place there. And as American Christianity threw... Uh, the mainline churches as they were dying out. Why were they dying out? Because us younger generation, <laughs> we really didn't care about the, t- the the nuances and jots and tittles of doctrine. It was boring. Mm-hmm. We were we were looking for life, and and Jim so spot on noticed. When he's, he mentions, I forget the first point, and he said, but more than that, we were looking not for communal, but community. That was precisely the heartbeat of the Jesus movement, was that desire for family, large family, family that was, you know, I mean, it was, yeah, and that, yeah. Um, so that I would say that we, we need to factor that objective, subjective swing. So we've seen what happened when... Um, when uh, 
Calvinism, in particular neo-Calvinism through the influence of people like Piper and Driscoll and those fruitcakes, as it entered into kind of this American Protestant thinking in the um, 90s and then the, the first decade of, of this century, that's when all that stuff became popular again and you had, you know, the rush do anything and all of a sudden the Seven Mountains were back big time now with a neo-reformed emphasis and that produced the subjective liberalism that we have today. Okay, liberalism is, and charismatic Christianity and liberalism are the two subjective expressions, whereas evangelicalism in its more fundamentalist expression, along with anything out of Protestant orthodoxy, is this so-called objective expression. And the thing is, you cannot have authentic Christianity when those are split. They belong together. And so that's why in the when we were in the Jesus movement days, for me, I was looking for that deep, rich, subjective experience of community. But my mind and my tradition were calling for some kind of – there has to be a core to this thing somewhere. And I got very excited uh, for, for that turn to the Apostolic Fathers. In fact, uh, I was laid up from, I believe it was sep- early September, late August, early September of 1980. And I bought that whole um, series that Erdman's publishes on the pre-Nicene Fathers. And wow. because I was laid up, I read eight hours a day and I just plowed through those volumes for yeah about three four months yeah and that, that i think that's due to jack you know um, and, and, how were you received by your um b- because you took uh, you you were reading the early church fathers and and uh, really taking an intellectual turn there how were you received by your your peers well by that time uh by that time uh church in the park had uh, unfortunately uh begun its self-sacrifice and it was when the shepherding movement came in the dynamics changed between the three elders and the rest of us and we were we were this was i guess somewhere around in 79 early on in 79 i guess because you know we were living in christian community as well and um that 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 busted that up you know uh, more than anything was the shepherding movement thing. People listened to, to me. I mean, I was a young Bible college kid, you know. Uh, I've been reading Greek at that point for like two years, so I have a, a little bit of knowledge, which is a dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I was a young upstart, you know, and uh, we did experiment with some ancient liturgies in our worship because Lori and I uh, were part of a four-person um, worship leading team, and along with Becky and, and Barb Woodthorpe. And so we experimented. I mean, we would go back and we would bring some of these ancient liturgies and type them up and we would do them together, you know, and uh, it was cool. But then the next week we just might be doing, uh, you know, second chapter of Acts songs or something, you know. Right. <laughs> or the stuff, the stuff that we wrote, you know, or the stuff that Queen and family wrote or anything that anybody was writing in those days. It just, 
it just got kind of passed around. All the songs that were being written got all passed around. Nobody was worried about copyrights or anything. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, in that time I was a little kid growing up in a Baptist church, and and a lot of the Jesus People movement songs made its way into uh, into the Baptist circles. Even you know they they weren't used in the in the regular worship service, but like around campfires and you know places mm-hmm. like that, you know they were very much you know like it only takes a spark, and you know all those all those songs kind of. Oh, I've got one that circulated around Northern California, twenty five dollars. I'll bet you Jim knows this one. What is it? Oh, welcome all you noble saints of old, who now before your very eyes unfold the wonders of so long ago foretold. God and man at table are sat down. Do you remember that one? I remember it. We didn't sing it very often. I'm sorry, but mainly because it was it sounded too liturgical. It wasn't charismatic enough. <laughs> I I love it because this circles right back to what we're talking yeah. about. You know, the whole trying to break out of that that you know away from traditional type things, and yeah, we, that's interesting. We, we thought um, how do how do I say this graciously? Uh, we thought it was the miraculous love of God that the charismatic movement or renewal or whatever was hitting the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was too. That's important. The charismatic Well, it was, was but I mean, our emphasis was, was different. <laughs> our oh. emphasis was... <laughs> Amazing that Babylon yes. is even getting saved. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because even in my experience, even though I wasn't um I mean, I lived amidst the Jesus people movement. I saw the Jesus people on the street. They, I remember uh, some Jesus people like doing carpentry at our house that I grew up in coming over and, you know, the hippies there, you know, who wearing their crosses and stuff. So it was all around us in Southern California. But, you know, I wasn't, of course, I was too young and I wasn't involved in it. But, but it's interesting because even in my journey growing up Baptist, I hungered for that um, experiential experience. Um, type of faith that was beyond just the rational as well. And that's Jim, when I came up to gospel outreach, um, they very much still had that sense of family and community back in, in 1990 when I arrived. And so um, that was a, 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 a tremendous fulfilled a, a tremendous hunger that I had. The problem is when I left there, um, it, it, at the time, Gospel Outreach had a, had a pretty good balance between, my dad visited, and this is how my dad put it. He loved it. And my dad goes, he goes, they're charismatic, but they stay grounded in the word like the Baptists. You know, that, that's how my dad put it, because he didn't know have the terminology or vocabulary, you know, to, to yeah. put it another way. But but, you know, from his perspective, he was right that it, there was a there was that balance that was taking place there where you didn't just go off into charismania, you know. Um, but unfortunately, when I left there, um, I went to the other extreme, just like we're talking about, where I started looking for the experience and then, of course, went way off into the ditch on the other side, got totally burned. Um, but I didn't swing back to the other way. Um, I didn't go, okay, now I'm going to go become liturgical because I that was, you know, that's what the Catholics do and stuff. I wasn't raised around that. You know, that was my thinking. So for me, it was 
leave the institutional church, you know, cause that, that was what my thinking was. This is the way to, to escape that craziness. And so I went on a, 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 a season of the an, institutional church is the devil. And, you know, went to this kind of other extreme on that. And then, uh, but then, but I couldn't deny that, but here was the thorn in my side. I couldn't deny that the place where I had ex- truly experienced family and the strongest sense in my entire Christian walk was in an institutional church. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so that always caused me trouble because it was like the, the thing that I was searching for when I had left the institutional church was back what I had encountered in the early 90s. Um, because that was a family that really walked together and cared for one another. And there was a genuine sense of community. Um, so it's interesting because that thing that you guys both talked about, about community, that was alive even in me and in my generation, who's still looking for that community. Um, and it seems like now so often you see churches kind of know that. So they, so they're always putting out this thing of we're family, we're family, come here. And, but it makes you stop and go, okay, so what is the ingredient then that's lacking that is causing people who are looking for that um, from being able to put down roots and go, okay, this is a place where I'm going to, you know, sit down and, and form community. Well, I think, I think you have a, a couple of things there that, that uh, contribute to it. Uh, first of all, you have tradition which is competing with heart desire, if you will. Um, go back and, and uh, you know, fiddle on the roof, you know. <laughs> the younger generation is, is presenting to dad true heart desire. And dad say, yes, but there's tradition, you know. And, right. And, you know, and it's like, okay, so what's tradition? Okay. Tradition is how we uh, function in our meetings, okay? And in our meetings, there is a certain order of service that we call, we call it. And, and, you know, in, in my background, the order of service is, you know, you, you depending on what time you show up to the building... You don't want to get there too early because you may be asked to help set up chairs or clean the Sunday school room or something. <laughs> so you get there 10, 15 minutes early, and that gives you a few minutes to kind of shake hands with a few people. Uh, if you're really bold, you might introduce yourself to somebody who's never been there before or something. But usually, you usually you know, want to scope out the, the room and, and make sure that nobody's sitting in your chair you know, put your, put your Bible and your purse down on that chair to make sure, you know, those chairs for you and your wife. And, and so now the order of service, you've got three to five songs may or may not have what we call testimony or somebody sharing or whatever. And then whoever the speaker usually at least at least three weeks out of every month, it's the pastor, the senior guy, going to get up and, and give his little message, you know, his little sermon. And, and you know, and, and then you break up and you go into another room and you have coffee and, and donuts and you visit with the same few people and you go home and you call that I family. You, I love how you forgot the offering. 
Well, Jim never got yes, any part I of the offering, so yeah. When do we take the offering, or the two offerings if it's Mission Sunday or guest that's speaker right, or right. whatever? You know, then you have to that's have two, right. or sometimes even three. That was rare, but anyhow, and and and. Unless you just happen to see them in the aisle of, of the grocery store, you're not going to see those people all week long. Right. And and then you hear these terms like family and you know and whatever and and you hear may, maybe even messages about how we're living stones and we're being built together a habitation to the Lord and 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 it's those things that touch that deep ingrained, I believe, put there by God himself, need and, and desire and, and want to to be family, to be community. That uh, mm -hmm. Mike talked about uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, or maybe last week, about being interrelated, interconnected, interdependent. And mm -hmm. that we're wired that way. And when we don't have it somehow in our in our heart in our mind, we know we're missing something. But because mm. it's not presented in any other way than a once a year or whatever message from the pulpit, it's not presented in living experience, unless mm. uh, you know, unless during the summer we do family events to prove that we're a family, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's an afterthought and a person can honestly live their whole life, uh, looking for something, not even knowing what they're looking for. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. They're, they're actually have a sick heart, spiritual heart, not even knowing it, because because they're not fulfilled in what they were created to be, and that's part of a community. And mm -hmm. I, I, I think until we can get away from the order of service and find our way to the place where we actually function as community, where every part has something... Not that every part functions every single week, but every part has its part in the play, if you will. Uh, and it's not orchestrated. It's 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 an overused term, but it's organic. It's the way we live life together. Until mm -hmm. we can find a way to to get back to that, um, we're I don't I don't think we're ever going to really represent Christ in this world. Mm -hmm. That's my personal belief. Spot on again, dude. You you are nailing it this week, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm thinking that a couple thoughts, Jim. Um, is first of all, um, it's interesting because you hear, um, pastors and churches they'll they'll talk. You know, that there is like a desire to to have that 
community in a lot of places, you know, um, not everywhere, but a lot of places, you know, you, you hear that, but as you were, as you were sharing, some thoughts came to mind is first of all, is what you're describing, um, requires that I have to be hungry enough that I'm willing to depart from my, if you will, my comfy American culture lifestyle. Cause, cause right now it's like, just being brutally honest, it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I've got my American life. I've got my, my job. I've got my, my routines that I do. And then I've got some Jesus on the side. You know, I go to church on Sunday and things like that. But what you're describing and what you guys experienced in the Jesus people movement, and I got to experience some of the residue of it, was there was a hunger. It's only if you're hungry enough that you will go, I'm going to break out of this this uh, this culture I'm living in and go spend time with my friend, go spend time with my neighbors, go spend time with my, my fellow, you know, um, believers. Um, if I'm not hungry enough, all I'm going to do is have another program that I'm going to, you know, like I'll have a home group and I'm just going to attend the home group and can't wait for it to get over with and go on to the next thing. So that, that's my first thought is that the hunger has to out, the hunger for community has to outweigh my my uh, love of, if you will, of how would Paul would put it, my love of this world, you know, my love of the way things are and, and the status quo. Um, the other thing I'm pondering is, and, and I want to throw this out as a question for you guys, during the Jesus People movement, because you hear that talk of in, in churches today still of family, community, you know, we want to get there, you know, and, and there's, they, you know, trying to institute programs and, and gatherings and stuff, trying with a good motive, you know, trying to get there. But in the Jesus People movement, was there a sense of we're building something or was it simply were were uh, anything other than we're building the kingdom but th- was there any sense of we're building any kind of organization or we're trying to gather in numbers into this this group or this this organization no i i mean we all wanted to spread it we networked the, the networks were very strong but there would be there would have been a resistance to any kind of unified organizing it was it was hard enough when we'd get together and and you could always tell which group decided to run the show because they did it their way, which was different than your way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you'd get to do a little bit, but they were running the show. Um, can I come back to your initial question about what is lacking? Yeah, yeah. Exactly what is lacking, and that triggered. Uh, There are three things that I think are lacking in today's um, concept or understanding of Christian family together as church's family um, uh, or the brother-sister kind of thing that we were doing. It would always have been Brother Jim. Brother Jim, how are you? You So I want to say the first thing that Christianity as a whole is lacking as a whole, the whole thing, and that includes, you know, everybody that's out there, is trust. And we've replaced trust with knowledge so that we're saved by knowledge rather than trust. Okay? It's only when we're able to escape this Gnosticism that we can talk about anything after that. But as long as you're stuck in that Gnosticism, 
you're going to be living in that dualistic reality that requires you to strive for intellectual certainty. You know, so that's the first thing. Trust is lacking. The second thing that's lacking is equanimity. And by equanimity, I'm referring to the baptismal text of Galatians chapter 3, where Paul is using a baptismal text there that the Galatians would have recognized, where when you were baptized, there was this understanding that all cultural and social identity dies. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male and female, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free. None of that matters. That is all put in the tomb. And the new identity is that each of us are raised as brothers and sisters of Jesus and thus with each other. Children of the Heavenly Father, like Lena Sandal would write. That created equanimity. So that a master and a slave could be in the same house church, but over a period of time, that slave will have earned the title of elder and been over wow. the master in the ecclesial sphere. Yeah, you know, that's not, it wasn't uncommon. And instead of equanimity today, what we have is hierarchy. And that hierarchy can be expressed as patriarchalism. It can be expressed as racism. It can be exp expressed as any kind of, of fundamentalism, any kind of wokeism, anything that puts people into categories of above and below, okay? Or creates any kind of us-them mindset. The third thing that's lacking is grace. Modern Christianity, Christianity as a whole, um does not understand grace. Grace is relationship without transaction. Grace is I give to you because I'm a giver. You respond, you don't respond, doesn't affect me. I, I did what I do because this is who I am. But instead, we've, we continue to go back to that religious principle of do ut des, I give in order to get. And if I give and I don't get back, eh, I get a little pee. You know, that's why if I keep giving to God on Sundays, but God doesn't answer my prayers, eh, now I've, I've entered into that transactional relationship, right? Right. And the same thing with human beings. Some, we're, we're on the worship team, we're up there. We want people to come and tell us how much they love to hear our singing. We expect it. You know, if we're a great preacher, we expect people to tell us we're a great. We have all of that transactional thinking going on, and because of that, we can no longer re relate in true grace. If there was one thing about the Jesus movement that was important to me, it's that we really did try to live in grace and love and charity and peace, the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, you know, whether you can say we were manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, whether you can say that we realized that was fruit worth picking, you know, I don't know, but I do know. That, that those gospel values became, our, for, for me, our lifeblood. Mm -hmm. And it was because I think we were starting to get grace and love. That's really good, Michael. Um, I, so many things to draw on there, but I think you hit the nail on the head on, on all three points. Um, because as you were talking, one of the things when you're talking about grace, one of the things that stood out to me was, it was interesting this week, um, you know, 
being a manager at a TV station and, and working with employees and stuff, I noticed that I, I was saying to Lily just in passing, it wasn't like this deep theological discussion or anything, but I just happened to say, compare it to, yeah, you know how people are at church about their seats. I was going, I had this situation at work, blah, blah, blah. And as you're talking, I'm going, isn't that disturbing that, that I can draw a parallel between the world and what I've experienced in church as being the same, the the same Mm -hmm. attitudes, the Mm -hmm. same, and and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not even going ugly on the church. It's identical. Mm -hmm. There is no difference. And Mm -hmm. and I've got the same, I've got some nice people that really are nice and easy to work with. I've got people that are, that are really angry and bitter. I've got people who are, who are retaliatory. I've got people who hate change and will fight you tooth and nail on any change, you know, so you've got it all. And, and you, you could even just take what I said and, and you don't know if I'm talking about my job or the church because it's in both. Well, and, and all those shiny, happy people. Exactly. And, and, and then we're talking about how the, the thing that, um, that I happen to mention to Lily in this conversation, I go, I go, you know, you spend time fortunately, cause I'm, extremely fortunate to be friends with you guys and others who who are being transformed by Christ. And you you get around people like you guys and others that you almost forget how dark the world is, <laughs> if you will. You know, and then you get into the world and 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 you're like, man, people are nasty to one another. People are are hard and tough and and but it's what's tr- what it's so important what you said, Michael. Because if I can go into a workplace and I can go into a church, and there's no difference other than the message that's being preached. You know, one is putting out entertainment or news, and the other is putting out you know supposedly the Bible and the gospel, and yet the people are the same. That should that statement right there should be enough to make us all shudder. You know, that's extremely problematic because <laughs> yes. it's like that, that speaks of, like you said, that the, the grace, and, and it's funny because we even have all these grace preachers and grace being talked about. And yet, when does this really become reality? Because the, the purpose of, well, let's just, let me throw this question out. What is the purpose of the church? What is our, what is supposed to be our purpose? Well, well let I, me ask I, you this. Well, I was, I was gonna just going to ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. You guys are like two cars at a stop sign. <laughs> you go. No, you go. No, you okay. I'm handing the microphone officially over to Mr. Dirk, and I am silencing my voice. We have to roll the tape all the way back to the beginning of this thing. Uh, when, when the Lord said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades or, or you know, will not prevail against it. We we have to understand that he was not saying, I will build my organization. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll set up my guys that will run it for me. And, uh, you know, and it'll, it'll be a top-down organization with a CEO and a board and, you know, and a finance director. And, you know, it, it was something completely different. And... Uh, you know, it gets back again to family. But I, I was thinking as as you and Michael were both talking that 
you know, I remember when I first met you and, and Dave and Bob, you know, and, and reading, uh, David's book and, uh, reading, um, so, uh, the book, so you don't want to go to church anymore. And, and, uh, you know, by Wayne Jacobson and, and reading books like that and, and coming to realize that, the experiment, if you will, to throw out, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but throw out all of the organization and the structure and the titles and the uh, hierarchy and everything, and just get down to organic or what I called for years relational gathering, where we we came together just to, to be relate. Um. In the beginning, that sounds very exciting to a large group of people. It's like, yeah, that sounds great. But over a period of time, the vast majority of those people end up going right back to the institution. Or they go away from it completely. It's like, ah, forget both of you, you know. And and it's like, why mm-hmm. does that happen? Why? What yeah. is that great goal to, to go back to the very thing you walked away I from? I think people want to be told what to do. Pe- people, uh, yeah. um, they don't want to think for themselves, first of all. It's much easier to have the pastor say, this is how you're supposed to behave if you're going to live the Christian life, yada, yada, yada. And so... Right. Law, in this sense, is much easier than living under grace or living under love. If the the just as it takes more courage to be nonviolent and forgiving than it does to be angry and violent, it takes more more hmm, inner strength and developed character to love and be gracious and live in grace. You know, right. We keep coming back to these foundational definitions. You know, we've asked, you know, okay, well, what is grace? And rather than trying to find it abstractly or philosophically uh, or through a theological traditional lens, I think one of the things we're finally doing is we're finally getting back and gutting out how, how do the biblical writers use this word? What is really going on in the text is it? it appears that we have voices within the text battling one another. Well, what's the battle over? Oh, I see this, that, and the other. I want to come back to the gates of hell comment um, that Jim brought up the text in Matthew 16. Um, I do have something positive to say. I've always been troubled by the Matthean version of the um, post-Caesarea Philippi discourse because... In Mark and in, in Luke's gospel, it's in John's gospel as well, it's very clear. The disciples don't get anything. They, they are just completely clueless throughout the time of Jesus' ministry from beginning to end, and even afterwards, you know, in the early chapters of the book of Acts. They're just, they literally are clueless. And um, uh, Matthew has a tendency to whitewash uh, Peter and the apostles because remember, uh, in the... Uh, mid to late second century, there were battles between Paul and the Jerusalem church. That meant between Paul and Peter. And when it came to authority, one area could claim Paul, another could claim Peter. And that's not 
you know, so good. So this battle for me, of course, leads to uh, Matthew's gospel being written in Antioch in the last uh, two decades at some point of the first century. And he's whitewashing Peter. So I do not take this text as belonging to the historical Jesus. Jesus never talked about the church, in my view. He had no idea about the church, in my view. Um, he was a Jew, lived a Jewish life. He did not... He, for, he, he, whether I don't know what kind of vision he had. If uh, Bruce Chilton is right, he kind of had that Merkabah mystical vision of this of, of Ezekiel one and use that to develop. I don't know. I can't say, but Jesus never says this is what the future is going to look like after death. He never does that. It's always about the here and now. So I don't think the historical Jesus uttered anything about the church, but putting that aside, the textual Jesus does. Matthew's Jesus does. And I've always found it interesting, particularly back in the Jesus movement days, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we turn that into a defense. When we are attacked, our gates will stay strong. Right. But the text is saying when we attack, the gates will fall. So if you want a mission for the church, the mission of the church is identical to the mission of Jesus to bust down the gates of hell and set the captives free. That is not eternal conscious torment. It is the opposite. It is saying we're going into this bad doctrine, bad theology, where everybody's put in hell or life feels like hell and everybody's miserable either now or then or both. You know, I mean, we are the ones that get to go bring light into darkness, hope into despair, you know, all of this, this is what we get to do. We bust down the friggin' gates of hell. There's a mission awesome. for you. Right, okay. And I'm not talking about some cheap uh, Rebecca Greenwood uh, uh, thing either. Here, I'm not talking in the seven mountain nonsense and praying around cities garbage. Right. I'm, you know what I'm actually talking about is shifting the underneath epistemology, shifting the mindset. Right. So, folks, we could end it here and then pick up uh, next week uh, and continue. I, I think we should continue this conversation about why people are, why they make moves, in a sense, away from their the persona side other people want them to have to explore their interior in other traditions. So, well, we're about at time, you guys, and we want to, we think this is a good place to stop before we dive into some more content that we want to get into. Um, so we're going we're gonna to stop here, and then next week we're going to pick this up, and we're also going to look at uh, some things about how do you handle it when, uh, when your own family or pastors or church friends um, are um, having some trouble with you going through what some people call deconstruction or uh, changing your views on things. Um, so, so we'll pick that up next week. So uh, we'll talk to you all then.